Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that's the champion, that's defeated it all. There's no reason that we should walk out of here in chains. There's no reason we should walk out of here entrapped in our sin. There's no reason that we should walk out of here with guilt or shame. God, you've paid the price for it all. It's the reason why we're here. If it wasn't for you, there'd be no church. So we just say thank you. Just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. you're feeling oppressed right now, I just want you to raise your hands. If you feel like there's something oppressing you, you just feel like, man, I can't get over the hump. I can't. Just can't experience that freedom that I need. Just lift your hands up. I want to pray for you. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. God's here. Lord, we surrender. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough to figure out this life on our own. And we say, Jesus, take complete control. We put on the helmet of salvation that frees the bondage of sin in our mindsets of addictions and thought patterns and worry. We're going to stop striving and we're just going to start receiving your grace. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can have a seat. Give the Lord a hand. Yeah. Have a seat. Give the Lord a hand. Whatever you want to do. Man, that was great. Great time of worship. Just what I needed. How about you guys? Well, my name is Lance Ainsworth, and as Landon mentioned earlier, and I live in Visalia, California, but uh, before you hate on me, I am from West Texas. I'm a country boy sent as a missionary to California, so I need all the prayer I can get, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we're doing, seeing some great things happen. I got three wonderful kids, beautiful wife, 13 years in the fall, and uh, they send their love, and I've known Landon and Emily for 15 plus years. And uh, the Landon you see here is the Landon 15 years ago, except he got some muscles and facial hair. And uh, thank God, man, he's, he's looking a lot better. But uh, <laughs> uh, Emily saw all the potential. Just kidding. But we've uh, <laughs> been good friends. Shane and Angel, man, just Shane and Angel been a great impact in my life. They're here and uh, great mentors. And so, yeah, I was shocked to see them. And uh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it, but uh, it's cool. So Landon and Emily are having a baby, which is super exciting. And uh, so I'm going to do what happens when you have a baby. People buy you clothes that you'll never put on your kids. And so I got to be that weird uncle. And so we're going to do a little ice, ice baby, 90s reference. Some of you guys don't even know what that is. That's okay. Uh, ask a millennial. They'll help you out. Uh, guess what? Chicken butt. There you go. Oh, yeah. And then uh, 
don't look at me. That smell is coming from my dad. So there we are. So, uh, and I live with Landon, and I can attest to that. So, <laughs> well, we're so excited for them and excited to be here today. Everybody say reflection. I want to talk to you about this idea of reflection. Now, to me, I'm not a really big fan of the, the idea of reflection or reflecting on something that's happened in life. I personally don't live with a lot of regrets. You know, if I have a mistake or I fail on something, I say, oh, I'll learn from that. I'm going to move forward. I'm always looking to the horizon, what's coming next uh, and moving forward. And, uh, you know, in the last few years, I have ha taken some time to reflect. And there's two times in your life that you reflect. Uh, the first time is when you uh, are on the mountaintop, you have, uh, you're the Avengers and you've defeated Thanos. Uh, Tony Stark's gone, but you look back and you look at all the characters and you say, man, we defeated uh, all these aliens and we conquered. And then you say, why did I waste my time watching all those movies? But, uh, and the second time that we reflect is in the valley. It's in the valley. And so we're going to look at Psalms 23, a very famous passage in the Bible, and we're going to hopefully glean some new things out of it and uh, see where David's coming from. Now, David is uh, an interesting guy in the Bible. We see his story of his life unfold right before us. And, you know, David comes on the scene as the runt of the family, the youngest uh, brother. And uh, Samuel comes to anoint the king. The dad doesn't even invite him. His brothers make fun of him. He's overlooked. Uh, but so happens that he gets anointed that day as king. And then where does he go next? He is sent back out to the field to be a shepherd. Now, shepherding a flock was actually a job for the servant. It wasn't a son's job. And so he's given this lowly job. And uh, so he's uh, shepherding these sheep, and he's doing his thing. He's playing music, and he's uh, Justin Bieber in the fields or whatever else, you know. And then uh, he goes, and he's taking lunch to his brothers that are at war, and he ends up slaying Goliath. Pretty cool. Uh, what happens after that is Saul, the king of Israel, is now jealous of David. So he's on the run for his life. He's hanging out. In caves, he eventually becomes the king. Then he dances naked in front of the whole kingdom or in his underwear. And then <laughs> uh, we see that he has this mighty warriors that are surrounding him. One guy was fighting and a sword froze to his hand and he was slaying people. Another guy had the, the uh, jawbone of a donkey and is killing people. And these are David's men and he's conquering and he's this great man, men among men. And he loses sight of his purpose and he is an adulterer. He sees Bathsheba and uh, to hide his crime he kills Bathsheba's husband. And uh, then Nathan the prophet goes before and confronts him, says, you are a sinner. You have done wrong in the eyes of God. And he repents. And then at the end of his life, uh, everything is awesome except uh, one of his sons wants to kill him. And he's got all kinds of family dysfunction. Basically, uh, the Jersey Shore of the Bible, right? <laughs> like, so much drama, you know, like that's happening in his life. But we get to see kind of, we don't get to see all these characters in the Bible and all the intricacies of their life uh, like David. And so he pins these Psalms and we get to see, hey, what maybe what he was feeling. And so Psalms 23, we don't know what moment of David's life that he was writing this. Uh, it, it could have been uh, while he was in a cave hiding from Saul. Uh, it could have been after Nathan has confronted him and he's just on the lowest of lows. He has committed adultery. He's killed a man, one of his generals. It could have been when his son Absalom. We don't know, but it was in a low point in his life. And so let's read together Psalms 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Oh, good job, y'all. You read your Bible. He makes me lie down. and green. Here, just so you guys know, as I preach, the more you talk back, the sooner we get done. All right. 
So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Oh, we got hungry people at church today. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy. Everybody say goodness and mercy. Shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first three verses of this um, psalm, David is reflecting. He's looking back. He's taking time to contemplate who God is in his life. And the first thing that he says is that the Lord is my shepherd. What he's saying is the Lord is caring. He cares. He cares about me. Now, David was a shepherd, so he's starting to see this metaphor unfold in his life. And that's the cool thing about God is he knows how to reach each and every one of us on our level. To the mechanical engineer, he knows how to get real analytical. For the person that likes the arts, you know, they know how, how to creativity. You know, somebody who likes sports, you can get any kind of metaphor out of a sport, you know, about God, you know. And so for David, he was a shepherd, and he's starting to see these similarities of how he felt about his sheep and how God feels about him. See, David was a good shepherd. He knew his sheep. He knew them by name. He knew their birthmarks. He saw them from when they were little to when they were adults. He knew the ones that would straight. He knew the ones that were lazy. He knew the beautiful sheep. You know, he knew everything about these sheep. And he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Just like I care for sheep, that's how God cares about me. Now, I was in FFA. If you don't know what FFA is, you ain't from the country. FFA is Future Farmers of America. You know what I'm saying, Shane? Yeah, Shane's from the country. He's from Missouri. So, you know, we stick together. And farmers, you know, FFA, you know, we would see cast birds. We would cut the heads off of chickens. We would do all kinds of crazy stuff. But you know something about sheep. If you know anything about livestock is that they are the dumbest animal. Out of all the livestock. And they require the most care. They are actually, their life depends on the shepherd. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, you're a sheep. He's like proclaiming how stupid he is, you know. (laughs) The Lord's my shepherd. I'm not that smart, you know. I would much rather be like a lion or a big bear or even a gazelle. You know, that would be amazing. You know, like at 2020 happened, everybody's like, lions, not sheep. Well, sorry to tell you, the Bible says we're sheep, you know. But... He says we're sheep. Why? Because we are dependent upon him for life. We are dependent upon him for life. A a good picture of sheep without a shepherd in this book by Philip Keller. He says, you know, this uh, shepherd, he had 1,100 sheep. And one of them decides to jump from one cliff to the other. And we kind of know what happens there. But 400 sheep decided that was a good idea too. So 401 sheep are dead at the bottom of this cliff. The shepherd lost $74,000. I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes. Good dad joke. Okay. But that's what we are like without a shepherd. We're the blind leading the blind. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides. He's our provider. He's our provider. And I want to share this thought with you today is that the enemy, he wants to do everything he can to keep us discontent. To keep us discontent, looking for something, looking for materialistic things, looking for relationships, anything but God to bring us happiness. I experienced this myself. I'll be a little open and honest. When I had my first kid, 
nine years ago. You know, we bought a house and we were, our kid was coming. And so I did what every man should do. Does anybody know what that is? Oh, thank you, Doug. Buy a recliner. That's right. Get a man chair. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, if you have a man chair, raise your hand. Oh, perfect. Okay, we got three of you guys. Proud of y'all. Uh, <laughs> I'll see your man cards at the end. No, but uh, so I had to go get a man chair. If you don't know where you go get a man chair, you go to the Bass Pro Shop. So I went to the Bass Pro Shop. No joke. If you go to the Bass Pro Shop and you sit in a camouflage man chair, it's the most comfortable thing you'll ever have. You will get in a fight with your wife just so you can sleep on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is amazing. And so I took my wife there, and I'm like, hey, we got to get this chair. I'm going to hold my son, watch the Dallas Cowboys lose, you know, and I'm going to have a great time in this chair. And she reminded me of premarital counseling and, you know, like, oh, premarital counseling. You know, you got to set up your rules and how the house is going to operate. And, and she said, remember in premarital counseling? And you said, I get to decorate the whole house and you can have the garage. I said, yeah, I'm a man of my word. She said, that's right. We're going to Ikea. And so where you have to build your own furniture, that's another story. But, uh. So we got this man chair, got no neck supports, like one foot tall, I got long legs, never sit in it, still at my house right now, you know. But what's the point of that story? Man, we will do go out of our way to just find comfort in life, to look for the next comfort, the next house, the next car, the next iPhone, the next job, the next girlfriend or boyfriend, the next friend, whatever it is, we're always looking for something to fill a void that only God can fill. And so, I like this quote right here. It says, contentment comes from whom we have, not what we have. Contentment comes from whom we have, not what we have. If Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins so that you could be free from the bondage of sin and have eternal life with him is not enough, then we've missed the mark. Everything else is bonus at this point. You ever been to a third world country and they're like so happy and they got nothing? He's our provider. He has provided salvation for us. Everything we need. Verse number two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There's one of two people in this room. There's ocean people. My wife, Olivia, she's an ocean person. How many ocean people are in here? You love the ocean? And then there's lake people. I'm a lake person. How many of you guys love the lake? You guys really love Jesus today. And there's something peaceful about water. David's given us a word picture about water. He, re, he leads us beside still and quiet waters. The reason why I like the lake is I like to get up early or late at night and the water's just like glass. And it's just so peaceful, right? It's just so amazing. You don't get that at the ocean. It's just chaos, you know, and you can't. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, he's given us this picture of, of our soul being at rest. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 11, 28 verses, uh, 11, 28 verses through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke was a system of beliefs 
by the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis. Every rabbi had a certain yoke, and that was the six, over 600 commands of the Old Testament. And then they added their own specifics of legalism to that. And if you wanted to be that uh, disciple and that rabbi, you would take their yoke upon you. And it was a burdensome thing. It was all these rules and regulations. And Jesus says, it's not meant to be like that. Your life in Christ is meant to be easy. He's done all the work. We just get to celebrate in that. Amen. A good way to know if you're living under legalism is every time you pray, you say, I'm sorry. We don't live a life for God. We live a life thankful because of God. That's why he says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Because when we come to him, we're thankful. Everything we do is because we're thankful. It's not because, oh, God, I'm just trying to, you know, please don't strike me down. You know, I didn't pray yesterday. Kids don't have toys because I didn't tithe. You know, I'm, I don't know. Just messing with you. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores. And if you look at the actual definition of this, it means to uh, find a stray sheep and bring them back in. And we know Jesus is a good shepherd and he leaves the 99 to get the one. And, you know, we were, uh, I like just stories and things to remember what we're talking about. And last week we were uh, at our church, we did a father-son hike. And we hiked down to this waterfall. And once you got to the waterfall, everybody was just kind of doing their own thing. Well, this little five-year-old boy, he started climbing up the waterfall. I'm like, bro, you're going to die, but your dad's here. It's not my responsibility. You know? <laughs> but uh, he's climbing up, and eventually he gets to this point where it's too slick for him to come down. He's going to hurt himself, and it's too steep to climb up. And this dude, like, for, I mean, for about five minutes, he's just kind of like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then he just starts losing it. He's crying. He's like, dude, my life's over right here. You know what I'm saying? And we're all watching this unfold. And the dad goes and gets a rope, and he pulls him up, and everybody's cheering. Oh, my gosh, we saved his life. You know? Uh, but then I, God spoke to me, and he says, you're that kid without me. That's who we are without Christ. We're lost. We have no hope. He restores my soul. He brings me back into the family of God. And, and then what does he do? He leads us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's our guide. He's our guide on, on the right path. Many people have this question, you know, when they come to church, what's the will of God for my life? What am I supposed to do? You know, I got all these decisions. What's supposed to happen? And what I usually tell people is this is, if you were going to go on a trip to Israel, would you... Uh, Go online, look at blogs. Would you get pamphlets? Would you uh, Google everything? Or would you actually go to Israel, find a guide that's been there for generations, knows all the artifacts, knows all the history, knows everything about the city, and it could take you all along the way? The reason we don't know the will of God is because we're not spending time with the guide. And I'm going to simplify the will of God for you real quick. God's will for our life is to become more like him. So if a decision doesn't do that, don't do it. It's not that complicated. Some say, well, how do I know these, this, is or that? Talk to the guide. So the first three verses, David, he's reflecting. He's thinking about who God is. All that time he spent in that field and things that he learned about God's character. And on verse 4, the, the psalm pivots and uh, most scholars call this a psalm of trust because at the beginning it's my shepherd in paths of righteousness. He leads me. And now he's going to use uh, the first person. He's going to say, I 
He's going to say, I. Because he's letting us know where he is in his life, what's going on around him. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So we see where he's at. Two times you reflect, on the mountaintop and in the valley. He's right in the midst of a valley. So he's having to remind himself like he's in a shadow, what, the shadow of uh, death. What that was was where two cliffs came together for a shepherd was a very dangerous place because it was dark. There was thieves. There was wild animals. It was a place where a lot of people were hurt and uh, fear could grip you and take hold of you. So he's saying, I'm right here in this valley. And, you know, uh, he said, I'll fear no evil. And I want to tell you something. Fear is a spirit. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Another thing he says about where the spirit comes from, he says, the devil uh, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those he made to devour. What does the, why does a, a lion roar? Because when they roar, it paralyzes their enemy. And they can have their way. For many of us, we're in the valley and we're hearing the roar and we're saying, what do I do? I'm stuck. I don't know what you're afraid of, afraid of failure, afraid of being hurt again, afraid of putting yourself out there, whatever it may be. But the way that we conquer fear in our life is through the word of God. It's through the word of God. I challenge our church. I say, just memorize one scripture a week. One scripture a week, you'll have 52 promises to build your life upon. That's all it takes. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to do the Bible in a year. Get your little pen, you know, whatever it is. Man, just do one a week. And that's exactly what David does. He says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me in verse 4. He's ever present. He's our ever present in, uh, in time of trouble, Psalms 46. Why is he proud? Do we know he's present? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's not only present, but he's protecting us. A shepherd would have a rod in their belt uh, that was a shorter stick to defend off uh, wild animals. And they would have their staff, and it was for walking, but it was also for guiding uh, the sheep. In case they wanted to stray away into raging waters and they would drown or maybe into a bush or whatever it was. Have you ever met that, like, rambunctious kid? That's just wild. They're just jumping, hanging off the ceiling. They'd be touching these lights right now, whatever else, you know. And all that kid's doing is he's, he's acting out most of the time. Not all the time. But most of the time he's acting out because he wants to know that he's loved. He wants discipline. And that's what the staff was. It was discipline in our life. Jesus said, I chasten, I discipline those whom I love. How do we know God is with us, well, we'll feel that prying from the Holy Spirit in our life. Don't go on that website. Don't lose your temper here. Don't do this at your job. Maybe you should forgive that person. Discipline is love. It's how we know God loves us. He's present. He protects he prepares us, prepares victory for us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I like how Ephesians 2.10 says it. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has set up victory. He's prepared a table of victory 
in the presence of your enemies. There's things in your life that God has already given you victory over. You know how victory happens in, in the Christian life? Faithfulness. Faithful, 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 faithful. How long you been in Flagstaff, Landon? Ten years. Faithful, faithful, faithful. You ever wanted to quit? <laughs> faithful, faithful. Any everybody ever hurt your feelings? Faithful, faithful. Anybody ever told you weren't any good? Faithful, faithful, faithful. That's why I admire this guy, man. He's he's faithful. If you'll just stay faithful, you'll see the good works take place. We're closing. This is my favorite part of this whole passage. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Follow is radaf in Hebrew, which just means to pursue. It's like playing a game of tag where the cops are chasing you. Have the cops chase you? No, no, that's your testimony. You, you hold on. Goodness and mercy are following us. Another kind of little cool word study if you ever want to go through it. This word mercy is hesed, hesed. Hebrew word hesed, it's mentioned over 250 times in the Old Testament. Many theologians would say it's the most theological word in the Old Testament. It's the loving, kindness, mercy of God that we don't deserve. That's how God views humanity. Josh, come on up here. You know what we're going to do. What's your name, sir? Ben, come on up here, Ben. <clears throat> Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You're going to follow me. But wait, 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 wait. I went through a divorce. Goodness and mercy and follow me. But wait, 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 wait. I've gone through bankruptcy. I've lost it all. I've made some bad decisions. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. I haven't been to church in five years. my first time back. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all days of my life. I've lived 10 years with an addiction that I can't kick. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, you guys are slow. Come on. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. One pastor, he said it like this. He said, we have the good shepherd and the two collie dogs, goodness and mercy, to see us on our way home. Bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you're here and you just need to be reminded that God's chasing after you. He's pursuing you. Maybe you're here and you're in the valley. I was, I, I've been there. The last three years I've been in the valley, man. I've just been this time of reflection and, man, it's been incredible. But you know what? I've had to take some inventory. I've had to do some reflecting on who God is. I've had to think about what he's done in my life. I've had to ask for help. Oh, my gosh. I've had to renew my trust in God to say, I will fear no evil, for I know you are with me. 
you're in a valley today, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. See those hands coming up all over. Man, this is your moment. So glad you came to church today. Man, God loves you so much. How do we get through the valley? How do we get through the hard times? Number one, you don't do it alone. Being here is enough. Staying in relationship and community, but through the word of God. I want to tell you something. If you're in a valley, and that is this, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No demon, no angel, no principality, no darkness, no height, nor depth. Nothing can separate you from God's love today. And the lie, the spirit of fear that's been on your life that's paralyzed you, it's time to fall off. It's time to break. You thought you were going to stay here the rest of your life. I'm just going to be in this mode. This is the new normal. No, this is not your new normal. It's time to break that fear in your life. You know what I love about that scripture? It says the devil is like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion. He has no power or authority over you. His bark is way worse than his bite. And I break the lie of the enemy off your life. You can put your hands down. If you're here today and you say, I don't know the shepherd. I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never asked for forgiveness of my sins. I'm that kid on that rock screaming for help, needing a Savior. God wants to restore your soul today. That's you. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you back there. Thank you. Thank you, God. Romans 10.9 says this. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and raise him from the dead, you shall be saved. I want you to say this prayer with me, but also stop by the information table today and let us know that you accepted Christ. Pray this prayer with me. Say, dear God. So I'll say it together. Dear God. I put my total trust and faith in you for the forgiveness of my sin. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my shepherd. Amen. As I was listening to this message, I'm texting my friend that's in San Diego, and and that reminded me because I'm uh, you know it reminded me of something. Surely goodness and mercy. And he goes, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. He was making a decision. He was making a decision to not feel his way into an action, but act his way into a feeling. And it reminded me of when I was talking with the, my friend. He plays for the Chargers. I was talking to the Chargers, and I was talking to them about how to set the tone. You know, how we as a church, when we come in here, you come into church, guess what? Who sets the tone? The Holy Spirit, number one. But number two, the people who say, this is my church. 
And when I ask for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to worship today. We're going to smile today. We're going to love today. We're going to hug today. I'm going to be happy today. I'm going to smile. We, we, you set the tone. Why? Because I may not feel like it in my flesh, but I will act my way into a feeling rather than try to feel my way into an action. Because it will never get there. And what David was doing in this moment with a powerful word from Pastor Lance is he was deciding that this is how I will feel. This is how this is how I'll feel when I'll talk with somebody. You ever had that? You just had the apprehension of a tough conversation or somebody who doesn't like you. Or how about you decide? You know what? It's going to go good. You know what? I'm going to like them. You know what? I'm not going to judge them. You know what? I think I'm going to look at them and see an ally before I see an enemy. It, you decide this as. That's why the declaration was, as for me in my house, not because I feel like it. David was saying, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, it doesn't mean fear will be absent. It just means I'm going to stop listening to the roar and start listening to the guide more. And so when I listen to the guide more, I won't hear the roar as much. But I'm choosing. I'm making a decision. And I've said this a hundred times. You are one decision away from living in your destiny. Because the bridge between disappointment and destiny is decision. And it's your decision to say, I will no longer choose to live like that. We all have valleys. We all have mountains. But you get to choose today. And the devil's job is to try to distract you and bring discontent into your life and say, is he really good? Did he really say that you couldn't eat of that tree? He's going to bring dis. Don't let him speak. So, I mean, I could, Lance has got me fired up. I want to preach like three messages now. That's what happens when your pastor doesn't preach for a few weeks. But God wants to get you in a place of decision to say no. Like Pastor Lance said, what if we woke up every day reading that passage? How much better of a day would you have? It's just one chapter. It was from a decision. A decision. Thank God for the wonderful word of the anointing and the flowing of the Holy Spirit from Pastor Lance. Awesome. Let's all stand. We're going to dismiss. Pastor Lance got you out of here on time. He's better than me. Uh, <laughs> amen. You, you just got hired, buddy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love Pastor Doug. Um, uh, we also have our prayer team down here for anybody who gave their life to Jesus. We want you to connect with your church. we got resources for you. We have Right Now Media for everybody who's new and everybody who gives your life to Jesus and wants to continue your walk with discipleship. It's a free online platform with the world's largest streaming content, and it's free for you. It, everybody else has to pay. You get it for free because you're a part of Bridge Church. This is a great resource for your walk with God. And so connect to that. Be a part of tonight, 5 o'clock, watching the Suns win at the tailgate party. Young adults on Monday, Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night service. We're, we're getting back there, guys. We're getting back there. We, we are used to, our church is used to having a service or something every night of the week. And we're going to get back to that. Why? Because this house, this is his house. And it's not going to be used to sit empty. It's going to be used to pack it out every chance we get. And God's going to use this house to bless his church, bless his people, bless our city, change our world. And so we're, I'm excited for all the wonderful things. Stay connected, stay plugged in. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, is, am I missing any announcements? I always look to Emily. She's not here right now. Is that good? Okay, I'm good. I got the thumbs up. I'm all good. All right, let's speak this declaration. Be dismissed and have a wonderful week. I am a bridge builder. This is my season of favor. 
I am blessed to live my best. I will choose to love him first. I will worship fully, love deeply, and my community will thrive because I am praying for it. I am a carrier of peace. I will represent God's gentleness to myself and others. I will live out his gospel. I am blessed to live my best because I am a bridge builder. Amen. God bless you, Bridge. Have a wonderful day. We are so glad that you joined us today. If you made a spiritual decision today, whether that be dedicating your life to Christ for the first time or rededicating your life to Christ, email us at info at wearebridge.church and let us know you made that spiritual decision. Also, if you are joining our Bridge Church online family for the very first time, we have a special gift for you. Email us at info at wearebridge.church to share some information so we can get that gift out to you. We're so happy that you joined us today and we can't wait to see you soon. Make sure to stay connected because we are so much better together.